Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. And I will write a check for $5,000 payable to the charity of the draft pick's choice who appears on camera with a dress shirt buttoned all the way to the top and somewhere visible on the shirt, the message, Chris Sims sucks. You do that, $5,000 to the charity of your choice. How about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw $5,000 in on that too. Okay, For I mean, what? For what? If it says Chris Sims sucks or something else? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on the Chris Sims sucks thing. I thought you'd flip it around and say like PFT sucks or Florio sucks or something yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, you know, that's really it? what should I should do. Should we give them a choice? <laughs> That's a hell of a chain. I'd like to order that uh, before someone else does. Good morning. It's two days Good morning. until the draft. It's PFT Live. Chris Sims at his house. Now, today's schedule is kind of strange. I didn't make it. I'm not quite sure how today is going to work. But you are with me until 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. Thank God it's not 8 p.m. Until 8 a.m. Eastern for one hour. And then Peter King joins us for the first segment of the second hour, and then you disappear after that. Did you have a, a hard day yesterday or something? You got a lot of Is work to do. Is that how it goes down? Go do so. I have no. no. I mean, that's what they told me. You're gone after it, the first segment of hour two. Are you sure? I thought I asked this last night during the group text message, and they told me no. So I don't know what the hell we're doing. I'm planning well, on being here from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern time. Right, good. Until good. they then tell me to get it. off, I'll get off. But, yeah, the three-man weave could be a little weird over uh, our current environment here with me on FaceTime and things like that, too. So I was a little concerned about that. As was I. Which, yeah. which I think is one of the reasons why we're only going to do it for one segment of the second hour. Maybe if it works for the first segment of the second hour, we'll continue it for the remainder of the hour. But either way, Peter King will be involved at some point today. Chris will be involved with Peter King and me for some period of that Peter King involvement. And we'll be talking about Peter King's mock draft, which created plenty of buzz yesterday as we get closer and closer to the real thing, which is coming up on 
Thursday night. So let's get right to the rumors that are percolating as we get closer and closer to the stay-at-home virtual 2020 draft. And let's begin with something that I saw yesterday that I think we really need to put in the proper context, Chris. And that is the report from NFL Network that the Giants are taking a very close look at quarterback Justin Herbert. Yes, one year after they drafted Daniel Jones, the Giants studying carefully Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert, a guy they really may have liked last year if he had come out but didn't. This year, they have a guy in Daniel Jones that they presumably aren't going to be throwing overboard. So, Chris, why do you think they'd be taking such a close look at Justin Herbert? Well, Mike, we've talked about this a lot, right? I mean, this is the same conversation we had 10 days ago or two weeks ago when it pertained to the Washington Redskins and why they were doing deep dive into the quarterback situation. Yes. I mean, they're expecting there could be some action at four for the number fourth pick. And they know that, okay, you know, will it be a team that's worried about leapfrogging Miami at number five? And if they do do that, you know, more times than not, it is for a quarterback. And Justin Herbert, I think, is widely viewed right now, especially with all the Tua, Tua injury concerns as the number two quarterback in this draft. So they're doing their due diligence. They're giving them one last scouting report to really know the guy one more time so they can hold the team's feet to the fire a little bit. Oh, man, we evaluated him. Whoa, does he have a big arm? Whoa, great size, great athlete. Whoa, I don't know. I don't know if that's enough you know, assets for this trade to happen. We really think this is a really good quarterback. So that ultimately, I think, is the biggest reason they're doing that. And you're right, Mike. I mean, the other thing is that they got to have a lot of homework on this guy already because anything I heard last year, they were hot on Justin Herbert if he was going to come out and had people at his games constantly. So I would think they have a pretty big notebook on this guy by this by this point in time. Yeah, and I think the key is if you are trading out of the fourth overall spot in the draft you're not just giving it up because somebody wants to say hey we picked fourth they're coming up for a player and the more you know about the player that the team would be coming up for the better suited you are to negotiate in an effective way in a way that isn't just flying by the seat of your pants now it would be even more valuable if you could convince the team you're negotiating with that you actually may just take the guy yourself but that's going to be a hard sell and here's the thing We have seen crazier stuff than the Giants deciding under Joe Judge to go with Justin Herbert instead of Daniel Jones, but I don't know why in the world Joe Judge, who's really not an offensive guru, would want to come in with his own system and want to have his own quarterback. Uh, Joe Judge comes in as a special teams coordinator who was a receivers coach for one year along with that to maybe remove the stigma, which shouldn't exist, for special teams coordinators to get head coaching jobs. So it's not quite the same as if you're drafting some offensive mastermind who has a vision for a system that Daniel yeah, Jones this is just not, doesn't This fit. is not Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray is what you're saying with Cliff Kingsbury as a new head coach, right? I mean, that's, that's basically what you're saying, and I agree exactly. with you. You're right. Yeah. I mean, Joe Judge, he came from New England. We know that. Daniel Jones, you know, I think Josh McDaniels was, was chomping at the bit to, to get involved in that Giants head coaching conversation because he thought Daniel Jones was a good football player. Daniel Jones is a New England type of guy and persona, the way he handles himself, the way he plays. And he's a, and he's a Giant guy. He's a New York Giant guy. So, yes, they're not making a play at the quarterback situation. This is strictly for trade purposes. And like you said, just so they have more knowledge of the player for negotiating purposes when that trade goes down. 
because you've got the Chargers at number six who could possibly want to come up to number four to get in front of the Dolphins, the Panthers at number seven who may decide to cut the line to get in front of the Dolphins, and ultimately, Chris, we talked about this yesterday, the possibility of the Dolphins just doing the flip-flop, the Giants squeezing them to come up to four in lieu of trading the pick to somebody who would cut the line in front of the Miami Dolphins. So again, that all depends upon whether and to what extent the Dolphins, the Chargers, and the Panthers covet Justin Herbert. Nobody is going to admit to any of that now, but this is just part of the pre-draft process while everyone kind of feels out where things are, where the opportunities may be, where the trades may happen, and this is all part of the necessary work that gets done so that the Giants can engage in a meaningful conversation about the value of Justin Herbert, who would be presumably the fourth pick unless the Lions trade down with someone and that team makes Herbert pick number three. All right, the 49ers have pick number 13 and number 31. They picked up the 13th pick via the trade that sent DeForest Buckner to the Indianapolis Colts. Via ESPN, the 49ers have put out the word that they are open to trading either of those spots, number 13 or number 31. And look, this is part of the pre-draft process, too. I saw a tweet earlier today that Washington is receiving calls for the second overall pick in the draft, but they're not intent on moving it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what happens the week of the draft. The teams with the highest picks receive calls from the teams that are lower just, just so that if something does potentially happen on draft night, there is some sort of foundation there that is in place so you have an idea of what the parameters would be what the team is looking for hypothetically. Those conversations have to occur now or they become impossible to execute on Thursday night, Chris, especially while we're trying to do this stay-at-home draft that may or may not have some glitches or may or may not have some issues. So the 49ers have the two first-round picks. They've got nothing in round two, three, and four. They would like to slide back if they could to pick up more lottery tickets in rounds two, three, and four where they have nothing this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's it's, it's as simple as, it, as, as that. I mean, I think that Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, the 49ers, they're just letting everybody know, you know, right now, hey, we're open for business. Uh, they have a very good football team, as we know, and I'm sure they want to add, like you're saying, more picks in the second, third round, more depth to their football team. You know, they got some guys that are getting older that they probably feel they got to fill the holes there for too. So, this is not surprising at all uh, as far as what the 49ers are talking about. You know, trading these picks, they're not trading to move up. I don't think it's anything like that. I think it is all about, you know, trading down, accumulating picks. Uh, if you go down in the first round, there's a lot of talented football players to be had in the first 32 picks of this draft. And I think a lot of teams are looking at it going, okay, yeah, you know, we're here, but if we trade down six spots, we can get a similar guy with just a slightly less grade, just a few spots down. And while doing that, you know, we can get more draft picks in, in the process of all of this. So I, I think there's a lot of teams in business, just like we talked about with the Giants talking about that, Detroit. And I, I think that's the biggest reason I look at Thursday night. I'm excited for it because I think there could be a lot of trades and chaos, especially with this new technological format we got. And when you have a quarterback that is making more than $25, $26 million a year, and his cap number this year is north of 26, and you've got a pass rusher in D. Ford who's got a big cap number, and you're just two seasons away from being expected to pay Nick Bosa huge money, the more young, cheap guys you get, 
the better off you're going to be. You want guys that are coming in on that rookie wage scale, minimum salary, plus a signing bonus based on their slot. You get a lot of those guys, and you let them become the nucleus, then you can have that mix of some highly paid guys and some guys who aren't getting paid very much. And beyond Bosa and Jimmy Garoppolo and D. Ford, the more successful the 49ers are, Chris, the more guys are going to want to get paid. The more guys are going to be in line to get paid. The more guys you're going to potentially lose to free agency. So you better have that pipeline of young guys. And the more picks you get, the more guys you potentially have to step up and replace free agents who inevitably will leave because you can't pay everyone. No doubt about it. I mean, yeah, this, you know, hey, John Lynch, we know he's very smart. Kyle Shanahan, yes, he's my friend, but I mean, he lives this. You know that. And we've talked about it, you and I off air. And he's constantly thinking about how to build his team, the next move, two moves down the line. And also, you know, this is a guy that's very into the history of football and what's made teams successful and what has not. He struck up a relationship with Bill Belichick, we've heard, right, ever since the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. And I know, you know, we've had this, I've had this conversation with Kyle. You know, yes, he's very aware that New England is New England because Bill Belichick was always willing to do the things you talked about, Mike. You know, low-level free agents, lots of draft picks, you know, not spending a ton of money or allotting a lot of the salary cap to just a very few amount of guys on your football team. You know, I think Kyle Shanahan is very aware of that aspect of trying to build a team that can sustain hot, you know, great level of play for a long, long time. And I would think this is a big part of uh, Kyle's thinking process in this in this whole thing. And you hear different names as it relates to the 49ers, like GM John Lynch, Parag Marate, the contractual mastermind. There is no doubt in league circles, though, that Kyle Shanahan runs the show there. He right. doesn't wear it on his sleeve. It hasn't been established as firmly as it is that Bill Belichick runs the show in New England. But make no mistake about it, Kyle Shanahan runs that show. And if he wants to trade down, if he wants to pull that trigger, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, he has full full power. He's running the San Francisco 49ers organization. You know, now he's not like, you know, maybe the, I don't want to say, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. I'm kind of just saying this for lack of a better way to say it. Maybe not quite the dictator Bill Belichick is in New England, right? Uh, but he's got a great way, Kyle, of communicating, delegating responsibilities, taking in what everybody has to say. But then ultimately, he's going to lean on his own football knowledge and his studies of what he thinks needs to be done for the football team. So, yes, Kyle, he's aggressive. We've seen that already in his first few years as a head coach. He's not afraid to make moves, whether it's for D. Ford or Emmanuel Sanders or the trade, the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Hey, their first trap, the draft, they went from pick two to pick number three. Uh, so I think, you know, between Kyle and John Lynch, a lot of football IQ there and guys that are not afraid to make some moves uh, to be aggressive to help their football team. He's got a different personality than Bill Belichick, which I think yes. keeps him from right. having that dictator persona. Plus, he doesn't have the pelts on the wall and or pellets on the horse, whichever <laughs> phrase you prefer. Once you start winning Super Bowls as a head coach, that's when the aura around you changes. And uh, who knows if that happens once Kyle Shanahan starts to amass Super Bowl trophies. One thing about the 49ers, though, if they do use those two picks, number 13 and 31, it will be the seventh time since 2000 that they have used two first-round draft picks. That's unbelievable. Wow. But they have six prior times during this, this century, this millennium, used two 
first-round picks. And I'll tell you what, they hit it big in 2007 with Patrick Willis and Joe Staley. Staley's Ooh. still on the team, and they're expecting him to play at least one more year. Wow, yeah. I mean, well, hey, listen, there's there's a reason that we saw that Jim Harbaugh, Trent Baalke team there in San Francisco uh, be one of the most dominant football teams in the league for about a two- or three-year period. And one of the, like, all Adonis, one of the all-off-the-bus teams. Like, they were one of those teams, Mike, when I was working in New England in 2012 and pregame, watching, you know, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, Joe Staley, some of the other guys that you were like, whoa, this is one physical freak after another. So they must have killed it in the draft to, to build a team like that. Uh, but that's amazing to have that many multiple picks in the first round that many times so far this millennium. One more note before we go. Peter King mentioned yesterday that there's a rumor making the rounds that the Chiefs may try to trade up to get not a defensive back, not a lineman, another receiver. Henry Ruggs, who ran the 4-2-7 at the scouting combine. I mean, how in the world? Now, first of all, the fact that there's a rumor out there that the Chiefs are thinking about trading up for receiver Henry Ruggs makes me wonder whether or not they really are, because if they really were, we wouldn't know about it like with Patrick Mahomes. We didn't know about it until it happened. But let's right. say it has managed to sneak out that they are thinking about Henry Ruggs. Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Mecole Hardman. Now, Watkins in the last year of his contract with the Chiefs, but wow. Wow, if you add and, – and this is what you're going to have to do is you're getting ready to pay Patrick Mahomes. I think you're going to have to draft a receiver every year because you're not going to be able to pay these guys. Watkins is going to be gone after 2020. Tyreek Hill will be gone at some point. Then Mecole Hardman will be gone. And then Henry Ruggs, if they get him, will be gone. And they're just going to keep cycling receivers through as the guys who catch the passes for Patrick Mahomes. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think if they're going to be able to manage a football team and build it the right way, that, yes, yeah, some sacrifices will have to be made. And, yeah, you're not going to get to keep a receiver for two contracts and give the guy, you know, a $100 million contract on that second one if you're paying Patrick Mahomes $40, $45 million a year. Yeah, so, I mean, it's smart. I don't know if I believe this rumor quite yet, okay? First off, I think you're going to have to trade up pretty high into the first round to – assure that you get yourself a guy like Henry Ruggs. I think he's going to go somewhere between, you know, 11 and 22. So that's going to be a pretty remarkable jump. Uh, and, you know, also I think right now you've you got three receivers who are burners. It's not a need. I understand that. But you'll have other burners come out next year in the draft too. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I think that's the wisest decision is what I'm saying. I think there's other holes to be filled right now in the Kansas City Chiefs roster. And, and if you're the Chiefs and you're interested in doing this, you pick your limit. You pick your ceiling. You have that That's right. deal in place. Let's say at number 16, number 17, number 18, and if Ruggs is still there, you do the deal. You know, they surely had something like that in place back in 2017 when they made the jump up from 27 to 10 to get Patrick Mahomes. They weren't going to make that trade if Mahomes wasn't there, and maybe they didn't have any. They, they, they played it out. They took the chance, one through nine, that he wasn't going to be picked. But their, their limit was 10, and that's where they got him. And who knows what their limit is for rugs. Maybe if it's just to 18 or 19, they'll do it. If it's all the way to 11 or 12, and he, they're not going to do it. And if he's gone, he's gone, and they'll go elsewhere. All right, we're going to go elsewhere when we return. Yannick Ngakwe, franchise tagged by the Jacksonville Jaguars, has taken his feud with the team to a very new and exciting, for our purposes, level. We'll explain when PFT Live continues right after this. Yannick Ngakwe took to Twitter yesterday. He is 
frustrated by the fact that the Jaguars have yet to trade him, so he directed a message to the son of team owner Shad Khan. Tony Khan, very active in the franchise, involved in analytics, lists himself on Twitter as an owner of the team as well. Stop hiding, said Yannick Ngakwe to Tony Khan. And Tony Khan, thankfully, because I love a good Twitter fight when it doesn't involve us, Chris. Or yes, not us I hear against that. each other. I'm I talking like, about either oh, I of like us watching Twitter someone. fights when it involves you. I, I enjoy it, Thank actually. You. <laughs> Thank you. But but Tony Khan said, I'm not hiding, sir. I'm in isolation getting ready for the draft. I've been pretty active on social media in isolation. But you wouldn't know since you unfollowed me again. It's kind of a petty response. Yannick Ngakwe, since you're feeling Mike today, let's both let the world in on the truth. We've been had a discussion that the Chargers game was my last game, yet you try to backdoor the situation without answering any of my camp's calls. SMH, you spoiled brat, holding up people for no reason, says Tony Khan in response. This is getting good. Tony Khan in response to that. It's a new regime here, sir. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the contributions you made here. That said, tweeting insults at me won't get you traded any faster. Only good trade compensation will do that. Please redirect your efforts into a more productive outlet a very well-reasoned but biting response and very well-reasoned good response yannick yannick and gawkway had no patience for any of it just trade me i don't need the speech so and then the last word from con show me the compensation i'm sure you're really driving up the price today and that's the concern and gawkway is not doing anything to get higher return for the jaguars or a bigger contract for himself by taking on an owner of the team on social media because the next team that employs Yannick Ngakwe is going to have to worry about that day when all of a sudden Yannick Ngakwe decides to take on someone from the team on Twitter. But you know what? It didn't keep the Rams from giving the Jaguars two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick for Jalen Ramsey, even though they walked into the potential the potential uh, for Ramsey to get upset at some point and try to draw a line in the sand and say, I want out of L.A., which still could happen. So I don't know. If the guy can play, the guy can play. And I don't think any of this stuff affects his value. Um, the reality, though, is, you know, I was told yesterday multiple teams have been under the impression that he's not available until lately. Now, when you look at Khan's tweets, it's clear that he is available for the right price. But, Chris, I, I heard the teams were inquiring and basically were told, don't bother up until the past week or so. So, uh, you look, if you're trying to trade the guy, that's not the way to do it. Or, or, or they weren't getting the type of compens- compensation in the conversation that they liked, and they just said, don't bother. You know, hey, the Jaguars, they're not in the practice of, like, just letting people go because they want to let them go. You know, first off, Yannick Ngakwe is a fine football player. But, you know, I think there's a lesson to be learned here for all football players here. It's that, you know, first off, don't, don't say anything. I mean, you're right, Mike. Most teams are going to just fall back and look at the film. But you're going to have a team or two who are going to look at this and go, oh, this guy's a pain in the butt. Forget this. I don't want to deal with him. You know, also, I don't understand why players sometimes when they're in this situation release the news of, hey, I'm out of here. I told them I was going to have my last game here, and that's it. You know, that that puts the, the organization in a very compromising position to where, yeah, it hurts your value. And then ultimately hurts your ability to get traded to where you want to go because the team doesn't get the value they want because you've started off your mouth about your issues with the team. So, you know, that that's where I don't understand. And I think too many players make this mistake. Just 
Just be quiet is what I want to tell a lot of players in this situation. Let your agent work the back channels and do their best to keep this quiet. What do you want to say? Go ahead. There's some wisdom, though, in what Ngakwe is doing because the less that a team gives to get you, the more money that team will give you. We saw it last year, and this is not a good example because it all imploded in August, but when Antonio Brown tweeted his way out of Pittsburgh by taking shots at everyone, the Raiders eventually gave up a three and a five to get him, which made it easier for the Raiders to give him a new contract, which is what he also wanted along with that deal. So Ngakwe wants a big contract. The more that a new team gives the Jaguars to get Ngakwe's rights, the less that team is going to give Ngakwe financially. It's a it's a balance. And the more money you pay, the less you want to give in compensation. The more compensation you give in trade, the less you want to pay. So if he can kind of blast his way out of there by getting someone to give up less to get him, so be it. Because, look, everybody knows he's available at this point. And even though if it's true that the Jaguars were putting out the word, don't waste your time, well, he's still available. The problem at this point, though, is, Chris, you've got two days until the draft. If he hasn't signed his franchise tender, he can't be traded before or during the draft. So this feels like something's going to happen after the draft. And I think what you're going to have to do at this point, if you're the Jaguars and Ngakwe, you sit and you wait and you see who gets through the draft and who doesn't emerge with a pass rusher that they had hoped to get. And then there's Yannick Ngakwe, and that's the other path you go. You can go Ngakwe or you can go Jadavian Clowney. And with, with Clowney, you're taking on the risk that he's not going to be healthy or stay healthy. With Ngakwe, you're taking on the reality you're going to have to give the Jaguars something. Now, it was D. Ford last year that got a 2020 second-round pick for the Chiefs. Frank Clark got a first-round pick in 2019 and a second-round pick in 2020 for the Seahawks. I think Ngakwe, it may be a second-round pick next year by the time it's all said and done, that that's the compensation that the Jaguars get, Chris, after the draft. Yeah, I, I think that's real. I, I do. I think it's probably going to be a second-round pick with all said and done. Maybe... Like, you know, they might get a first round. You know, the thing with D Ford is he was a first round talent as far as trade value, but he had the injury concern, right? There's some knee issues there. So I think that hurt his value a little bit as well. But I think ultimately Yannick Ngakwe and the Jaguars, I do think they're going to be able to demand a first round pick when this is all said and done. You know, I don't know. It's going to depend on the market a little bit here. Uh, and you're right. How many, you know, seats are filled by the pass rushers in the draft coming up? That'll be a big dictator as far as how many teams are in business for, for wanting to trade for a top DF defense to end like Yannick and Gakwe. Uh, but man, you know, I just, I get the sense that Jacksonville is not going to just let this happen easily. You know, it's a little different to me than the Jalen Ramsey conversation, Mike, because I think Jacksonville with Jalen Ramsey, first off, knew that there was a market for him because he's arguably the best corner in football. But secondly, I think that the Khan family in Jacksonville also realized that Jacksonville might have been in the wrong a little bit with how they treated Jalen Ramsey too, specifically Tom Coughlin and whatever was said to Jalen Ramsey and Tom Coughlin in that conversation or spat that we've so famously heard about. So I think Jacksonville had a little bit of a soft place in their heart for that situation to maybe make it happen. This one, I don't know. It seems like Yannick Ngakwe keeps uh, di trying to dictate the terms here. And the Kong family's been very professional so far. And they did a very good job in the Twitter exchange yesterday. You know, I mean, I think Yannick Ngakwe took the L just like you did against Jackson DeVille the last time I saw a, a Twitter spat. I mean, he just crushed just you. Up. He threw you in the kitty litter and he just you wiped know, his paws all over you last time. 
<laughs> you know, ordinarily when you decide to just keep talking and talking and talking beyond the point where we're supposed to go to break, I let you go ahead and run out of steam. If you're going to throw in insults and I'm going to jump in, I'm going to tell you, shut up. We have to go to break. So shut up. We have to go to break. Yesterday, I had a chance to talk to Joe Burrow, who will most likely be the first overall pick in the draft. Vegas has him at minus 10,000 to be the first to, to, to be the first pick in the draft. So, yeah, he's going to be the first pick. You'll hear some of what he had to tell me yesterday when PFT Live continues right after. Get out of the kitty litter, Florio. So Joe Burrow, who went 15-0 last year with LSU, won the Heisman Trophy, one of the great seasons of all time by any college football quarterback, most likely, if not definitely, will be the first overall pick in the draft. The only question is, will it be the Bengals or will someone make the move up like the Dolphins? I had a chance yesterday to speak with Burrow. Here is a small chunk of our conversation. Give me something that you know you need to work on in order to thrive at the next level, something that's kind of nagging at you, something, you know, one area where you really know that you need to improve or want to improve before you're playing in the NFL. I mean, I think you can always improve on everything. And so I'm not focusing on one thing throughout this process. Um, Something that I have worked hard on is under center um, play action footwork and getting my eyes right. Um, Because that was a big challenge for me in my junior year, turning your back to the defense, play action that way, um, and then finding the defense and figuring out what defense is being played post-snap. You had your pre-snap read and then getting your post-snap verification with your back to the defense was tough for me. Um, So I've been working on that uh, quite a bit. Yeah, Joe, I think the average fan has no idea how difficult it is when a quarterback turns his back to the defense you know, a lot changes by the time you turn yeah. your head back around and you got to get reoriented. And it's got to be almost dizzying when you're trying to pick up where everyone is after you weren't looking, even if it's just a half second. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and so when you're play action from under center, you see everything that's happening in real time. You don't have to take a snapshot and then turn your head and it's completely different. You see it all happening at the same time. Um so it's, it's a lot easier going from the gun play action than on the center. Does part of you wish that maybe you'd be able to enter the NFL with a lower profile? No. No, <laughs> I'm, I, I wanted to be the number one pick for a long time. Um, you know, I think there is value to being able to to sit and learn from, you know, maybe someone who's who's done it for a long time and, watch them prepare and then go in and, and do what you need to do. But there's also a lot of value in, in going in and playing right away and learning from your own mistakes um, and things like that. So I think, you know, if you go in with the mindset that the pressure is going to be too much for you, I think you're in the wrong, wrong, the wrong line of work. If you listen to the full interview at the PFTPM podcast, youtube.com slash NBC Sports, you'll hear that I had much more of a wind-up for him for that. I talked about quarterbacks who arrive and there's too much pressure and they fall apart and it's better maybe to be a later round pick and develop off radar and do you kind of wish that maybe you're in that situation and his response flatly and quickly and immediately, no, Chris, he wants it, he embraces it. And that's the kind of confidence you have to have 
right? You're never going to survive at the NFL level if you don't walk through the door with supreme confidence. Even if you have nothing to back it up with like you, you still have to have the confidence when you walk through the door. I had plenty to back it up with, but you're right. No, you do. You do. It's a very real point. It's okay. I mean, it's a very real point, though, because it's contagious through a football team, as we've talked many times. It emboldens the coaching staff. Oh, just think about if you're an offensive coordinator and you got a quarterback who's really confident and talent, uh, talented and thinks a lot of himself. It, it empowers the offensive coordinator to put more plays in the playbook. Let's be more creative. This guy's great. He gets everybody to kind of come along when there's a new play in the offense and make sure everybody's on the same page so I can continue to build this offense and do things like that. You know, the one thing I've heard about Joe Burrow, and, you know, it shows in any interview he does, he is just, he's a total professional. He's very mature and wise behind his years already. He really is. And that, you know, that's another thing that it reminds me of Peyton Manning in a lot of ways. Not only his style of play and everything he can process and how quickly he does it, but, you know, he's just after every game this year, even though he was the best thing going since sliced bread, he never took the cheese. He always gave, you know, a, a, a lot of, uh, you know, positive talk about his teammates and things like that. And, you know, I've heard the Bengals have been blown out of the water so far by some of their conversations by Joe Burrow and, and just how detailed and professional he is. You came so close to mangling wise beyond his years and wet behind the ears. You were so close. So I, was, close. I almost I was mangled a lot of things right there. I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I asked him what he does best, what his best attribute is, because he can do it all. You've studied the film. You've raved about him on this show. And he said his accuracy is the thing that he really prides himself on. And he was disappointed his first year at LSU after transferring from Ohio State. He had a 57.8 completion percentage. So he went back to the lab, Chris, to figure out what he was doing wrong. And one of the things he realized is when he was off platform, like we see Patrick Mahomes all the time, Joe Burrow wasn't getting his feet set before he threw the ball. And for him, he needs to get his feet set, even if he's moving in the pocket or otherwise on the run outside of the pocket. And once he fixed that, the numbers went from 57.8 to 76.3% in one year. That is an incredible increase in accuracy. And he nearly, he didn't quite double his throws, but he nearly doubled his completions from one year to the next. He was 219 of 379 in 2018, 402 of 527 last year. Yards per pass increased by nearly three. Passing yards nearly doubled from 2894 to 5671. Touchdown passes went from 16 to 60 for crying out loud. And his interceptions went up by one from five to six. So whatever he did, he did well. And, and to me, that's an indication that this is a guy – who will be able to self-evaluate himself, take that time that he needs in the offseason, whatever it is. He'll spot it, he'll identify it, he'll fix it, and he'll come back better, and he'll do that every year until he gets to that level of finished product. Yeah, well, he, he's already made me a believer that he lives this. So uh, I'm not shocked to hear what you just said. And, you know, to your point, you know, first off, this is a guy that obviously has good work ethic more comfortable year two at LSU, the Joe Brady factor and him being there and the offense and everything about that. But, you know, I find it intriguing what you talk about, Mike, as far as, you know, those off-platform type throws and things like that. 
because it's the thing I'm most impressed by with Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow, for a, for a national championship football team, their pass protection was horrible. I mean, it was not good. It really isn't. He's under duress, you know, all the time and has to make so many throws with people around him, hanging on him, kind of moving in the pocket, but still throwing a 20-yard deep crosser and putting it on the screws. I mean, that is, the accuracy is so impressive. And I don't give a damn about accuracy when, oh man, the pocket's clean and you can throw a five-yard slant to a wide-open receiver. Whoa, I can find somebody down here in New Jersey high school that's going to be able to do that. Big whoopee, okay? What I want to see is a guy when you're going to be the high draft pick or the number one draft pick, you're going to go to a team that's not very good and has had a really bad offensive line the last few years. You're going to have to make some plays with your pure ability, and he can do that. And not only does he have the brains like a Peyton Manning, but he's just very athletic in the pocket to hop around and make those off-platform type throws, Mike, that you talked about. And to me, that was the number one thing that jumped out to me about the positives of his game. And let me tell you, from my perspective, after seeing him play, after hearing your assessment of him, after talking to him yesterday, if I'm the Bengals, I ain't giving up that pick. I don't care what no the way. Dolphins offer me. And, and look, that, that's still the one thing that could happen. No one else is in play. It's the Dolphins or the Bengals. And the question becomes, can the Dolphins put enough on the pile that the Bengals eventually say, there's no way we can say no to this. And if, if I was calling the shots in Cincinnati, I would say no to anything and everything the Dolphins put because you don't get many chances to get that transcendent talent. Now, it's easy to say that when you don't have three first-round picks plus and maybe a player or two or whatever, but uh, I'd try to resist it as best I could if I were the Bengals because I think he's going to be the real deal, and, and we'll see. Look, here's the other thing, too. I remember when the Bengals drafted Achilles Smith and he ended up being – horrible and I've I've entertained the idea that if Donovan McNabb ended up in Cincinnati and Achilles Smith ended up with Andy Reid would Achilles Smith have ended up being a good quarterback working with Andy Reid versus what he had to work with what Smith had to work with in Cincinnati so you know where you go when you start your career is always going to be a factor but if I'm the Bengals it's going to take a whole lot Chris to get me to not take this guy yeah, I mean, yes, uh, there's no I mean there's just too many things that are positive pointing in the right direction you know, one, you know, it sounds like the fan base in Cincinnati's behind this move. Hey, yeah, there's something to that. This kid's an Ohio kid. That That's going to just excite the fan base as well, let alone he he had the greatest college season I've, I've ever seen a kid have. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Week after week, you know, this wasn't like an LSU defense that was holding uh, teams to 10 points a game either. Their defense let up a lot of yards and points. He had a score – Joe Burrow had a score 30 and 35 and 38 points, I mean, almost every game. So there's just way too many positives, yes, if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals. There's no way I pass this up. And, Mike, to, to add to that, if I'm the Dolphins, you know, I don't, I don't make that trade either. As much as I love Joe Burrow, you know, there is just – they have too many things they need to address on their football team right now to just throw it all into the, oh, if we get Joe Burrow, he'll fix everything. No, you'll get Joe Burrow – and then he's going to have a hard time and it's not going to look good because you're going to have no support around him and your team's not going to be very good. And then everybody's going to go, man, Joe Burrow might not have been worth, worth one of the first picks. And then you're going to get fired and everybody down there. So I just think uh, that's a dangerous move for the Dolphins as well. Yeah, but look, if ultimately it's Steven Ross who's making the call and Ross loves that's, Burrow. That's, I know. And, it's, and, and, and it doesn't matter, right? If the boss says do it, then you do it. 
and and if it doesn't work, it's the boss's fault. The boss is on record as being the guy who wanted Joe Burrow, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. It would be a stunner at this point, though, if the Bengals trade out of that pick. All right, when we return, uh, one thing that any team that has a quarterback needs is offensive lineman to block for him. Chris has his rankings of the top five incoming draft picks. We'll look at that when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, Chris Sims unveiling yesterday his top five offensive line prospects. And uh, Jedrick Wills comes in at number one. A lot of people talking about Tristan Wirfs. He fell to number four. What gives, Sims? Well, all right, here's my big thing. You know, I like Tristan Wirfs, but, you know, my big assessment on him, Mike, is he can't play tackle. There's no way I would trust him to play tackle in year one, maybe year two of his career. He is more of a guard. He just lacks the foot speed, gets beat too many times in the run game and pass game uh, by speed moves or just missing blocks without being able to move his feet that way. So that would be my big issue there with Tristan Wurst. You know, I think he's a guy that you'd have to look at to go, let's play him at guard. Let's see if we can work on him with some of those footwork issues and increase the foot speed a little bit. And then maybe you can move him to tackle, but he still has a chance to be a really high level guard in the NFL too. So yeah, I just am not as high on them, as, especially those first three, Mike. I mean, those first three guys uh, are top 10, top 12 pick, franchise left tackle or right tackle, wherever the hell you want to put them. They're really good football players. And I see Mekhi Becton from Louisville at number two. This is something I ranted about a little bit yesterday while you were having technological issues, but the report from the NFL through NFL Network that he was flagged for a positive drug test at the scouting combine, that just that that ticks me off to no end. They don't care about it anymore. They're not going to suspend anybody for a positive drug test. That those results need to be secured. And the last entity that should be releasing it is the NFL through its in-house media conglomerate. I'd have never reported that. It doesn't matter anymore, and it shouldn't affect his draft status at all, Chris. Well, yeah, I don't think there's going to be many teams that are going to look at this and go, "Oh no," you know. I mean, unless they get some you know, reason that maybe it's it's hard drugs or something like that to where the, the failed drug test. If it's just marijuana, though, yes, I, NFL teams are not going to care. They're not. Now, where some teams are going to care a little, uh, okay, would be this aspect. It's kind of the ultimate IQ test. And as of right now, from what I've heard, he is the only drug test at the whole combine that's been flagged. So from that point, if you're a team that was on the fence, be going, Man, do I want to go Wills from Alabama or Becton from Louisville? I'm really stuck with which guy I want to go to. Okay, wait, maybe I'll go with the guy who kind of failed the uh, – didn't fail the drug test and, and was smart through this process. Now, if I recall correctly, somebody who's been on this show over the last three years, and it may have been Peter King, explained to me that he was aware a drug test was coming and he just consciously rolled the dice. I don't know who that was. Well, I yes, know I know, but I didn't do it at the NFL Combine. I know that. I didn't do it there. Okay, no, you did, yes. it when you, had, you did it when you had money on the line. You I got, did. did. Well, you no, you didn't. Did you I didn't fined? have money on the line. I just ended up because when you go into the drug program, I, you go into the drug program. You don't get suspended or lose money like that. So, listen, I'm not trying to sit here and justify my actions. I know I was a dummy and did stupid things. Uh, but all I'm saying is that's going to be the negative talk for the teams that were on the fence with Makai Becton. They're not going to like that aspect of it. Go, go, go ahead go ahead, and not draft him and then wait for someone else in your division to draft him and then you have to figure out how to get past him 
That's right. Year for the next five right. years or longer. I just, I just, I, it's a non-issue to me. And it, it's, it's, it is it's to me a little too. bit infuriating that the NFL, through its media conglomerate, is putting that stuff out there. It should be secret. It should be private. The team should know about it, but we shouldn't. All right, quick break. Could we see a record fall on draft night via the number of players taken in round one from a given school? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Two thousand four Miami Hurricanes had six players taken in round one of the draft. That is a record. Alabama and LSU both have over under odds of five and a half players to be taken in round one. So if you go over by that point five, you're at six and you match the two thousand four Hurricanes. Who's more likely to do it, Chris? Alabama or LSU? Uh, I think I look at Alabama probably more likely to do it if they were going to break the record, right? I could see all six of those guys. I don't know if the running back from LSU goes in the first round, but I look at Alabama and go Tua, Judy, Ruggs, Wills, uh, Trevon Diggs, Xavier McKinney, I think all have really, really great chances of going in the first round. They're going to go in the first round is what I'm saying. And then you have a guy like Terrell Lewis, who's a first-round talent, but had some injury issues in his college career. So he'll be borderline. And I think a guy you did the interview with the other day, Mike, Raekwon Davis, I think he goes somewhere between 20 and 32. So I'm going to take Alabama. I look at Raekwon Davis and see like a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson or Richard Seymour, that type of specimen. I have a hard time thinking he doesn't get picked in the first round either. So my money's on Bama if it does get broken. Well, and it just makes you, when you see that many great players headed for the draft, it makes you wonder why the team didn't do better last year. But we've seen that from time to time with teams far less accomplished. Remember when there was a, there was a stretch when North Carolina State was like a first-round draft pick factor? And it's like, how in the heck did North Carolina State not have a better team? When Les Miles was a coach at LSU, when you think of all the talent they had and the guys who went on to become first-round picks, it's like, how did they not do better as a team when he was there? So there's really not a strong correlation, not as strong as you would think. Either way, Alabama and LSU among the best programs in the country and not a surprise that both of them are in contention to tie Miami. You don't think anybody's going to get the seven, do you? This is just a matter of tying Miami at six. I, I think it is. I, I, just, I look at it. Mm, I think they could get to seven. I think I do think Alabama could get to seven when I look at the overall list. I think a little bit's going to be dependent on, like I said, Raekwon Davis and Trevon Diggs. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I think there's a chance, Mike. I do because I think Wills, Tua, McKinney, Judy, Rugg are all going to go in the first round for sure. I think Diggs goes in the first round too, and then it becomes one of those pa- the pass rusher Lewis or Raekwon Davis for that last spot. And when all else fails, I think the bottom line is no offseason program this year going to require a lot of self-discipline. Those guys from Alabama are more likely to have the self-discipline no based doubt. upon their time working with Nick Saban. Maybe that breaks the tie. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Peter King is going to join us when we begin the next hour of PFT Live right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. 
Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.